The following audio is from a sermon series entitled Finding Happy. For more information about Sacred City Church, please visit sacredcitychurch.com. Hear the word of the Lord from Isaiah 52, 7, Romans 4, 7 through 8, and Philippians 4, 4. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. This is the word of the Lord. Welcome to Sacred City Church. My name is Justin. I am one of the elders here. And we do uh, welcome you into our gathering this morning. We typically preach verse by verse through books of the Bible. And we've been doing that. We just finished up the book of Mark. It took us about 15 or 16 months uh, to work verse by verse through that book. And it's a long book. And it was a great, I mean, I loved it. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, It was a great year for our church. I think our whole church changed. The culture of our church changed a little bit we learned more about Jesus, and we learned more about who he is. And I think that changes us for the better. But for the next few months, I want to do something different. And we're going to hit some topical type series, some things that I think are very important to us as a church that you, you can find in scripture, um, but it's, it's harder to but I really want to spend some focused time on them, and I would have to preach like, you know, 20 verses through, a, or 20 chapters through a book to be able to get to here. So instead, we're going to do something systematic, all right? And we're talking about this series called Finding Happy, right? And so the next four weeks, this is what we're going to be talking about. Um, now, Marion Webster, if you just Google happiness, right, you're going to get this definition. Feeling pleasure and enjoyment because you have a life or situation, etc. Or showing or causing feelings of pleasure and enjoyment. Or pleased or glad about a particular situation or event. Okay? That's what, that's what Webster says. Now, the Dictionary of Bible Themes defines happiness like this. A state of pleasure or joy experienced by both people and God. Happiness derives from a secure and settled knowledge of God and a rejoicing in his works and covenant faithfulness, okay? And if we, if you want to know some synonyms, right, some other words, what are, ha- what, are, what are some synonyms of happy? We've got a bunch, right? Happy synonyms, we could say blissful, cheerful, blessed, content, glad, delighted, joyful, joyous, jubilant, merry, and you can ask Siri and she'll give you 50 more. There are a lot of synonyms. Now, honestly, I don't think I really needed to do that. I think we all kind of intrinsically already know what happiness is. We not, might not define it in those terms, but we all kind of get it in our gut. We know when we're happy and we know when we're not, right? And uh, honestly, we all want to be happy. St. Augustine said, every man, whatever his condition, desires to be happy. Every man, 
no matter his condition, desires to be happy. Now, how many things do atheists and Christians, philosophers and laborers, American and Iranians, Republican and Democrats, how many things do they all have in common? Well, here's one. They all desire happiness. We all want to be happy. So, This is a big question for us. What does the Bible have to say about us wanting to be happy or us finding happiness? Does God, and here's the question I'll be asking today. Does God want us to be happy? And it's actually, in one sense, it's a simple question to answer. In another sense, it's not because the way we kind of define happiness a lot of the times. So we're going to get there. There are a lot of people, when I ask people, does God want us to be happy? There are a lot of people, people that I respect, who say, no, God doesn't want us to be happy. And most of the Christians, honestly, that I knew growing up were not very happy people. And in my young mind, assumed that that was because they served a very unhappy God, right? And next week, that's what we're going to be talking about. Next week, we're going to be looking at the question, is God happy? All right, is God happy in himself? So we're going to find out next week. You don't want to miss it. But many people who go to church are not happy, and they would say, God doesn't care if you're happy. He wants you to be obedient, not happy. You should obey God. Don't worry about being happy. And you know what I've noticed is the folks that I grew up with, their parents that had this happyless religion, right? Because they served a happyless God, most of their kids walked away from a happyless faith. Now, why is that? Is it because, you know, they're millennials and they're pagans or they're atheists who just want to live life however they want? No, I don't think so. I think it's because they're human beings who are wired to desire happiness, and the faith that they were taught is a faith that's divorced from happiness. See, what many churches preach today, and they call the gospel, which is kind of hilarious if you know what the gospel means, is not good news. It's not a message of happiness. It's depressing. It's dark. Now, again, that, that kind of brings up another problem because though all of us want to be happy, we have this desire to be happy and we know when we are happy and when we are not, we all have a big problem, okay? Let me just say it like this. I don't know how to describe, I, I thought, literally this kept me up at last night, okay? This kept me up, I had to wake up early, change the sermon, and this is the best I came up with. I'm not happy, but it is. It is what it is, Okay? We know when we're happy, we know when we're not, but all of us, here's our problem, we're horrible happy hunters, okay? I know it's not that great, but let me build on it, all right? We're horrible happy hunters. What do I mean by that? How many of us have looked at something and said, that will make me happy, and then we've chased after that thing that we knew was going to make us happy, and we got that thing, and we said, now I'll be happy, <laughs> and we weren't happy, right? 
She will make me happy. He will make me happy. This promotion will make me happy. And we hunt and we sacrifice and we give things for it and we get that thing and then we're let down. Now, that's all of us, right? We've all had that. We've all had that in one way or another. Some small and some great examples. Now, why is that? Well, first off, let me just say, if that's true, then follow your heart and do what makes you happy is the worst advice you could ever give anyone, right? Because all of us have followed our heart and wound up hurt. All of us have done what makes us happy and somehow, some way, that didn't make us happy. We thought it would make us happy. It promised to make us happy and yet it didn't make us happy. Now, why is that? This is what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that's the case because our hearts are broken. Like they're born broken. We're born horrible, happy hunters. We chase things that we think will make us happy and find out once we get them that they won't make us happy. Now, this is kind of like Think about this. Our hearts are a GPS device, right? Our hearts are a GPS. Why does your little, why does your iPhone or your iWatch, you know, that GPS in that thing, it doesn't work all on its own, right? What that thing does is it sends a signal to outer space, right? It sends a signal to a satellite and that satellite is the thing that's gov, it's tethered to that satellite and that satellite is what's directing your, where you're at, Right? Think about our hearts. Our hearts have been broken. They've been untethered from our GPS, from our satellite. They've been untethered from the source of our happiness. And so sometimes, here's the quandary, here's the paradox, many times chasing happiness makes us unhappy. And so today, I'm going to talk about what God has done to fix our GPS system, okay? To fix our hearts so that maybe if he wants us to be happy, we're going to find out. Does God want us to be happy? What's he done to make us happy? These things, we're going to find this out today. So does God want us to be happy? I'm just going to say, and I hate giving it up this, this early, right? I, I don't like to do that. Does God want us to be happy? Yes. Surprisingly, I think. The Bible says yes. Did you hear that? Write it down, tweet it out. God wants you to be happy. In fact, Paul commands it in Philippians 4 4 that we just read this morning, and it's called a double imperative. He doesn't just say it once, but in the same sense, he says it twice. When he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'll say rejoice. Now, that word rejoice is chairo in the Greek, and it literally means to feel happiness or joy. Okay? To feel happiness or joy. Charles Spurgeon, commenting on this verse, says it is intended that we should be happy. That's what it means. Now, for some reason, many of us have divorced this definition. We think, well, I can be joyful and not be happy. Now, that makes sense in some place somewhere maybe, but honestly, if we really talk, 
How can you be joyful and not happy? It doesn't make sense. They're synonyms of one another. And Paul, this is interesting. Paul says, let's just put happy in there instead of rejoice. Be happy in the Lord always. Again, I say be happy. Now this is, this is two things. This is scary, but it's also pretty awesome. Because like parents, you take your kids to a water park and that's literally the only command you give them, right? Well, you give them two. Be happy and don't die. Those are the two. Other than that, we're on vacation. This is all good, right? Just be happy. And you know, if they're not happy, that's an offense to you kind of, right? You're like, you want to list it all. You know how much money I spent. You know how much, right? You think I want to be down here chasing you right now? Like, right, we want to go through all this stuff. I'd rather be upstairs with a drink in my hand. Let's just be honest right? But God says this, be happy. So this is a, this is really cool. This is a, this is, we live, we have a happy religion, okay? We have a happy faith. We have a, I'm going to give it away next, we have a happy God, right? And, but it's also scary. See, those Christians or those people who think that God wants me to only obey, he doesn't care if I'm happy. Well, here's something that you need to obey, be happy. Ooh. See, when my mom used to tell me to clean my room, I could clean my room, but she can't make me be happy about cleaning my room. God says a part of a Christian's obedience is actually enjoying the obeying. Whoa. Being happy, this is what C.S. Lewis says. It is a Christian duty as you know, he's writing a letter, for everyone to be as happy as he can. Lewis says it's a Christian duty for Christians to be happy. Well, I actually I didn't know that, C.S., but thank you for that. Now, that's a problem for us. Because, honestly, how do we make ourselves happy? What does that mean? Turn that frown upside down, Right? pull myself up by my bootstraps and make myself happy. We know we can't do that. We've all tried that a thousand times. See, this is telling us when Paul says rejoice, be happy in the Lord always, be happy. He's telling us that God doesn't just want our obedience. He wants our happiness. He's out for our joy. He wants us to enjoy following him, enjoy knowing him, enjoy worshiping him, enjoy making disciples and planting churches and renewing the city. He wants us to be happy while we do it. See, being a Christian is about being happy. And many people don't know that because many churches preach a false gospel. Now, I'm not saying every sermon should be happy. That's not what I'm saying, right? But the core of our faith is happy. A gospel, and I'm going to use the words of Jonathan Edwards here, a gospel that isn't happy-fying is a false gospel. A gospel that says God doesn't want you to be happy. That is, that's a different faith. That's a different message. That's not the message of Christianity. If that's the message you heard when you grew up, that's not Christianity. If that's the message that you get in our culture, because many times on the news and 
quote-unquote evangelicals that are portrayed in the media are not happy people, right? Look like they just sucked on a lemon, right? That's the portrayal that's been put out there. It's a false portrayal. The message of Christianity, the chief message is called the gospel. And the word gospel, evangelion, literally means good news. Good news. It's good news that makes you happy. Now let's put that scripture from Isaiah. Many people think the Old Testament. The Old Testament's all about the law and it's just depressing and you shouldn't read it and it's, it's been canceled. Okay, none of those things are true. All right? Look at what Isaiah says in the Old Testament. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings the good news. Now first off, Isaiah is not, does not have a foot fetish, okay? He's not like feet, right? This is more like, this is more like that phone call was amazing, right? That phone call changed my life. That text message changed my life. That thing, I, that announcement I received was amazing. So that's what he's saying. That's how they brought messages. Who brings good news, gospel, who publishes peace, who brings what? Look at this. Good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, that's God's people, your God reigns. Good news of what? Good news of happiness. When the gospel is preached, it should make people happy if they respond appropriately. It's good news that makes us happy. Now, it's interesting uh, a commentator, pastor, scholar, Dr. Ray Ortland, in his commentary on this, he says this. When it says your God reigns, and it's talking about the gospel, it's not talking about God loves us. Okay? That's kind of benign, like this, you know, God loves us. This is what it's talking about. Listen to this. But that he loves us with a love that cannot be defeated even by our own stupidity. What's he saying? He's saying this gospel of good news is a gospel that is happifying. It overcomes our own resistance to it. It overcomes our own depression, like our own you know, negativity, our own sinfulness, our own disruption of our happiness GPS. It overcomes that and it accomplishes what it was sent out to accomplish. That means God saves who he wants to save sovereignly and he happifies people. I love it. Because you see this in guys like C.S. Lewis, who was an agnostic. He didn't, he wasn't a believer. And he says, my conversion, my I must have had the most reluctant conversion in all of Europe, he says. He didn't want to be a Christian. He woke up one day and he's like, crap, I believe. I didn't ask for this. He had friends with J.R.R. Tolkien. Tolkien was sharing his faith with him. He was seeing how the universe was created and the world was made. He had all these logical arguments. And then all of a sudden, God sovereignly saves him. He didn't, he didn't really have a say in the matter, right? He's saved. He's regenerated. And what does he do? He confesses his faith. He turns from his sins. He repents of his sin. Ortland says, The message here is, the message of the gospel is that he loves us with a love that cannot be defeated, even by our own stupidity. 
This is the gospel, the finished work of Christ on the cross, his resurrection and ascension and a royal authority over everything. Now, what is C.S. Lewis, the Old Testament prophet Isaiah, and Dr. Ortland saying? They're saying the gospel is good news that makes people happy. It's a happifying announcement. Now, listen, this is where people get so confused. An announcement is different than advice. Okay, an announcement is different. When, you, when a father walks out of the delivery room and says, it's a girl, what does everybody do? Woo, yeah, they all rejoice, right? That's an announcement that's happifying. That's an announcement that creates joy in people. It creates joy. It doesn't just demand joy, but it creates joy. It's different than walking out and giving advice. You should be happy right now. You should be happy. Now, why should I be happy? There's difference. Many people view Christianity as advice. Here's what you should do. And if you do these things, God will ple- be pleased with you, and then maybe you'll find some kind of happiness or some kind of you know, one with the universe, or you'll know God a little bit. If you do these things, they see Christianity as advice. Here's how to be happy. No, 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 no. Christianity is an announcement. This is what God has done. This is what God has done. All of your sin, all of your shame, all of your guilt, all of the brokenness in you, God has overcome it all through Christ on the cross. It's a happifying announcement. It's not, what do I have to do now? It makes me happy in the moment. When I believe it, when I see it, when I understand it, it actually changes me on the inside. The core message of Christianity is an announcement that God has made us happy through his son. Deuteronomy 33, 29. I like the Old Testament that we all think is mean. This is what Deuteronomy 33 says. Happy are you, O Israel, who is like you, a people saved by the Lord. What's he saying? When you understand that you've been saved by God and not by your own actions, Somebody else lived the perfect life for you and died a substitutionary death for you, that his actions saved you, it makes you happy. When the Lord saves you, it makes you happy. Now, this is really good news for us. At Sacred City, we call ourselves a gospel-centered church. What does that mean? It means that we think the good news that makes us happy is the most important central message in all the Bible, and it's the core message of our church. That means we're all about finding happy, okay? We are unashamedly pursuing our own happiness and we want others to find their own happiness with us because the gospel is good news of happiness. God wants us to be happy. Now, why does this message, as I'm writing this, this is what I'm saying. Why does this message sound so vain? Have I just went full Oprah here? Right, I know that some of you are thinking that I went soft. He hasn't said the word wrath yet. Come on. Right? But the truth is, listen, there are over 2,700 scripture passages where words such as joy, happiness, merriment, gladness, pleasure, celebration, cheer, laughter, delight, jubilation, feasting, and celebration are used in the Bible. 
over 2,700. And here's something interesting. If you add the word blessed or blessed, it goes up even higher. But why are we resistant to this message that God wants us to be happy? I think there's two reasons. First, we have unknowingly been influenced by Gnosticism. Now, Gnosticism was a religious movement in the second century AD. Okay, so it's after the Gospels were written. It's after the New Testament was written. It's a religious movement that taught, listen, that the spirit was good and the body was bad. They said the body was a prison for the soul And so they shunned the material world and they embraced the spiritual. And many people, many Christians even, who call themselves Christians, have been influenced by this Gnostic way of viewing the world. They see the heavenly world as good and they see the earthly world as bad. And they think about the, you know, sweet by and by, someday I'm going to float up in my ethereal body and float on a cloud and I'll be free of this fleshly world, this real world, and I just get to be caught up in the great nothingness of whatever that is. Now, many of us aren't that extreme, but one way that we've been influenced by this Gnostic idea is when we hear the word blessed or blessed. Now, when you hear the word blessed, we think it sounds like some kind of spiritual happiness, right? that doesn't kind of include or infringe upon my everyday life. It's a, that's a Gnostic idea of happiness, that I can be blessed, but doesn't mean I'm happy. <laughs> I'm blessed, but I'm not happy about it. What? Like, we've separated this idea of blessed or blessed and this idea of happiness. And we think they're two different things. And then Paul says, In Romans 4, 7 through 8, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven. So anybody who's been forgiven, you're blessed. And whose sins are covered, you're blessed. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Now listen, the Greek word that Paul uses there, and Paul uses this word over 50 times in the New Testament. It's the word makarios, makarios. And it means this, here's the definition. Blessed, happy, fortunate. According to the Greek-English lexicon, they define makarios as a state of happiness pertaining to being happy. Did you hear that? The word blessed means happy. The word blessed means happy. Now, I, when I read that, and I read the word blessed, I don't, in my mind, I don't naturally think happiness, do you? You should. See, I have been taught by preachers and some good preachers. I have been taught that happiness is somehow unspiritual. That happiness is somehow circumstantial. It's less meaningful than joy. Joy is deep. That's bull. They're synonyms in the New Testament. It's not true. I've been taught that happiness is circumstantial and surface level. And I shouldn't go after happiness. I should go after joy. Or I want to be blessed and not happy. What? 
See, we've been taught that happiness lacks depth. That it avoids maybe the tough stuff of life. Maybe we think of happiness as kind of a glibness that avoids the difficult things in life and just puts a smiley face on. Therefore, because we believe this, therefore, happiness doesn't seem much like a Christian virtue, does it? And yet Lewis says it absolutely is. And the New Testament writers would say it absolutely is. And many other versions of the Bible translate that word makarios as happy. The CEV translates it nearly every time as happy. But why? What's going on here? When we read the word blessed, we kind of over-spiritualize and we think that God doesn't want us to be happy in this life. He's only talking about something in the spiritual world that we could tap into or something in heaven that's going to come. We don't realize that he thinks that he wants us to be happy in this life now. And I'm going to say, this is not the gospel. This is not Christian. It's a different religion. It's Gnosticism. There's many people that want to cut out chunks of the Bible. And we're not one of those. We, we don't want to be that type of people. Now, listen to this. I love this. Solomon, what, Solomon, you can ha- God spoke to Solomon, you can have anything that you want. Solomon, right, doesn't ask for riches, doesn't ask for women, doesn't ask for power, he asks for wisdom. And then he gets all the other things, actually. It's one of those, like, if you, the first wish of a genie, you wish for more wishes, kind of. Solomon gets all these things from God. He gives him wisdom and he gets all these things. And one of the results of Solomon's wisdom was two times in 1 Kings, it says the people under his reign were happy. Solomon's wisdom was given by God. Wisdom made his life and other people's lives happy when he did seek wisdom and follow wisdom. And then listen to this. For those of us who kind of disconnect, we, we, we've, we think the world exists in spiritual and physical, and I can have this spiritual happiness without having this physical happiness, and God doesn't really care about our physical happiness. Listen to this, what Solomon wrote. Ecclesiastes 9, 7 through 9. Go, eat your bread with joy. Drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love. All the days of your vain life, God has given you under the sun. Well, vain life, that just means it's like a vapor. It's here today, gone tomorrow. What does he say there? Did you hear that? Eat your bread with joy. Sorry for those who are gluten intolerant. All right. Eat your bread with joy. He doesn't just say eat bread. He says eat it and enjoy it. What else does he say? Drink your wine with a merry heart. Don't just eat your bread. Do it happily. Don't just drink wine. Do it happily. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love. What is Solomon saying? He's saying eat, drink, love, be happy. Does God want us to be happy? Absolutely. Psalms 104 goes on to say that God has given us wine to gladden the heart of man, oil to make his face shine, bread to strengthen man's heart. God gave us these things to make us happy. Many of us are afraid to be happy because we think being happy is somehow unspiritual. It's just the opposite. Enjoying a piece of God's creation and then tracing that joy and happiness up to its source 
which is God himself who gives all good things to us, that is worshipful just as much as this gathering this morning. Eating and drinking to the glory of God. What does that mean? That means I taste it and I eat it and I thank God that gave it to me to make me happy. My happiness completes the act of worship. I can't actually worship until I do it in a happy way. I can't just eat bread. I got to eat bread and enjoy it. But this is where things can easily go wrong. When I enjoy creation and I worship God, I find happiness. Hear that. When I enjoy creation and I worship God, I find happiness. But what my heart wants to do, because my GPS is broken, right? My happiness hunter has been damaged. So what my heart wants to do is worship the feeling of happiness. And when I worship happiness, here's what happens. Happiness dies. Now, this is interesting. This is what the the Bible has a word for that. It's called sin. Listen, I know we think sin is just the naughty stuff that we want to do, but we can't do because for some reason it's naughty. No, no, listen, listen. And parents, you need to shape this definition into the lives and hearts of your children. All sin is happiness suicide. Now let me explain. God created us. He created us to pursue happiness and ultimately everything that makes us happy comes from him. Listen to what Psalm 1611 says. You make, speaking of God, you make known to me the path of life. God shows us the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. What does that mean? In God's presence is the happiest place anywhere. In his presence is fullness of joy, being full of it, full of happiness. Listen to this. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. That sounds hedonistic. It is. God in his presence is a happy place. At his right hand are pleasures forevermore. He is the giver of all good gifts and he knows exactly what will make us happy. Now here's the deal. Everything in creation, everything he's given us, if misused, will actually backfire and destroy our happiness. Okay? Everything taken to an extreme will commit happy suicide. It's like this. And then I was debating if I was going to use this illustration or not. A baseball and a boomerang. Okay? Both of them are meant to make you happy. Right? A baseball, you throw it. Hopefully a person catches it. They throw it back. You're playing baseball today. I have, I'm going. I'm the chaplain for the River Bandits, our first home Sunday game, so I won't be at the door this afternoon. I've got to go down there. I'm the chaplain down there. I've got to do it. Baseball's fun. A boomerang, a boomerang's fun too, right? But here's the thing. There's something, the way a boomerang is made, if you throw it like a baseball and you don't expect that thing to come back at you, you're, you're in pro, you've got a problem. 
right? And here's, what, here's the suicidal nature of sin. You throw it and you think it's going to be fun and you want to walk away and boom! It comes back around and destroys your life. That's what sin is. Sin is happiness, suicide. Anything taken to the extreme, any good gift God gives taken to the extreme commits happiness, suicide on itself. Wine, strong drink, beer, alcohol, taken to its extreme, used in excess, becomes alcoholism. What is out? That ruins. You drink wine. What, why did God give us wine and alcohol? To gladden the heart of man, Psalm tells us. But what, if you keep drinking it, what happens? It destroys your life. Sleep, taken to its extreme, taken too far, becomes laziness. Food becomes gluttony. Beauty becomes vanity and narcissism. Sex becomes lust. Now I want you to think about this because I, I think it's profound. It's the boomerang. We, we think it's going to make us happy and we don't know it's going to come back and destroy our happy. That's what sin is. It's like this. You're in a marriage, right? You're in a pretty happy marriage. But you start daydreaming about what it would be like to have an affair. Oh, it's not going to mean anything. It's just going to be sex. You start daydreaming about Sin. You start daydreaming about finding happiness outside of your marriage. And you say, when I do this, it's going to make me happy. I, I'm pretty happy now, but I'll be more happy if I have this affair. And what happens? Statistics prove and statistics show that if you commit to that and you have that affair, it will actually destroy your long-term happiness. See, it's promise, I'm doing this because it'll make me happy, but it's the boomerang that comes around and destroys my happiness. My family's broken up. My, my marriage fails. My family's broken up. My finances get destroyed. My long-term happiness is cut short. Something that promises happiness, and then it comes around, and it actually cuts the throat of happiness. See, this is the suicidal way that chasing happy can actually kill our happiness. Do whatever makes, your ha- whatever makes you happy will not make you happy because we don't know what actually will make us happy. Our GPS has been busted. And that's what sin is. Sin is anything and everything that destroys our long-term happiness. Now, like I said, our GPS is broken. We don't really know what that is. We have to learn it from God. God invented happy. God made us for happiness. God knows what will make us happy and what will not make us happy. And we have to learn of that in the scriptures, in the Bible. That's what the Ten Commandments are all about. When, we, when I'm teaching my son... To obey your parents, what I say is, what does the Bible say? He says, children, obey your parents. And I say, oh, oh, what else? So it will go well with you. So it will go well with you. Exactly. Don't leave that part out because that's the key. 
I want you to be happy as your dad. I want you to be happy. I know disobedience will not make you happy. He wants to take everything in excess. Is he in here? No, then I could say something about him. This morning, he just came up to me. He goes, dad, guess what? What? He goes, guess how many pumps of vanilla I put in my hot chocolate? I go, how many? 21. I'm like, that ain't going to make you happy. It's going to make you sick. It just happened on the, before I came up to the pulpit. <clears throat> the Ten Commandments. Why does God give us the Ten Commandments? The Ten Commandments are all about being happy. Worship God and God alone. He's the only giver of happiness, right? Don't covet your neighbor's stuff. Why? It makes you unhappy. Don't lie. Why? Because lying to someone makes them unhappy, and you don't want anybody to lie to you. If they lie to you, that makes you unhappy. Don't murder. Right? We get it. Right? The commandments God gives, the instruction God gives, are all about finding happiness. When he says, don't do something, it's not because this thing is going to be, it's, you know, it's going to be amazing if you get it. No, it's going to kill you. It's going to destroy your own happiness. It's going to backfire on you. So we read God's word to us to find out what it looks like to live a happy life. Now, here's the reality. Every one of us, even if we have all those rules and all those things, we, because our GPS is broken, we follow and chase after happiness in sinful ways. We all fall short. We all sin. Every one of us in this room have sinned and fallen short of God's standard for us. We don't have the power in and of ourselves to find happy or even to live this perfect, happy life that Jesus lived. But that's why Jesus came. Jesus came to show us what a happy life looks like, a life lived close with God, a life never sinning, a life that is connected to God in such a way that, that he is tempted by sin, but he overcomes sin. And listen, this is, this is the reality. This is the message. This is the good news that makes us happy. You can't obey the law that makes you happy, but Jesus did for you. And then, so Jesus has earned all the happiness of God. Jesus deserves all the happiness of God because he's lived a perfectly happy life. But instead of accepting that happiness and living the happy life, he chose to take our place on the cross to take our sinfulness and our shame and our brokenness, what we deserve for breaking God's law, death. Jesus took it for us. Why? So that we could have his happiness. So that we could be brought in to the family of God. That means Jesus purchased happy for us. He did all the work. And now what do we do? We announce that news. We declare the gospel. For those who put their faith in Christ, you have been made right with God. God is happy with you and you can be happy in God and every good gift God gave you on this earth to enjoy that right now and worship him with it. You can be happy because Jesus appeased the wrath of God. Jesus secured the happiness for us. Jonathan Edwards said, Jesus knew that all mankind were in the pursuit of happiness. He has directed them in the true way to it, and he tells them what they must become in order to be blessed and happy. What does that mean? 
You can never become happy by working your way into it. You have to be born again. You have to become something new. And that comes by believing this message of the good news. You believe it. Jesus lived for you. Jesus died for you. Jesus makes all things new, even you. And you put your faith in that, and he makes us new on the inside. For everyone in this room who wants to be happy, you want to be eternally happy in this life and the one to come. Come to Jesus and believe this good news of happiness. Now, what I don't want us to do, and we're going to cover this later, our happiness, Paul says this in 2 Corinthians, I think it's chapter 6. Paul says that, that we are sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Okay? That we're sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. So I want you to hear this. This happiness isn't like, oh, just forget about your depression. That's not what I'm saying. Oh, just forget about your loss. Oh, just forget about the death in the family. Oh, just forget about that happy, happy because God made you happy. No, 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 no. Sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. That there is a a undercurrent of happiness that propels us and moves us through life, that pulls us along, that pulls us through difficult circumstances. That when we're at a funeral, that we can be sorrowful. Man, I'm going to miss this person. I'm going to miss touching this person and giving this person a hug. I'm going to miss their face. I'm going to miss them. But I know where they're going if they put their faith in Christ. And so I rejoice that they're happy. I rejoice that they're with the Father. I rejoice that they're in heaven where sin does not affect them anymore and there'll be no more tears in their eyes. I'm sorrowful yet rejoicing. And that's our disposition. And I want that to be our disposition at Sacred City as Christians. That we're dead serious about sin. We don't hide from it. We don't hide from the realities of entering into people's suffering when they're having difficulties in their marriage or they've lost a child. Or we enter into that. And we don't just say, God made you happy. Be happy. No, 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 no. We, we suffer with those who suffer. We weep with those who weep, and we rejoice with those who rejoice. It's very, it, it, it's a depth of character. It's a depth that our superficial culture doesn't have access to. But the gospel creates in us. And I think, folks, this sorrowful yet always rejoicing, this sinful yet happy, right? The struggling with sin and yet happy. I think this is something that's really attractive to the people outside looking in at our church, that it's got a missional edge to it. People want to know how to suffer well, to be happy while they're in their suffering, right? And I think the gospel creates that in us. This is a, my last quote, and I close, close from Octavius Winslow. The child of God is from necessity, a joyful man. He's happy. His sins are forgiven. His soul is justified. His person is adopted. His trials are blessings. His conflicts are victories. His death is immortality. His future is a heaven of inconceivable, unthought of, untold, and endless blessedness, happiness, which such a God, with such a God, such a Savior, and such a hope. Is he not, ought he not to be a happy man? Amen. Father, I thank you for this truth that you want us to be happy. 
that you made us to be happy, and yet because of sin, our pursuit of happiness has been hindered and has been affected and has been bent, and so we chase after things that we think will make us happy, but in the end, they destroy our own happiness. I pray through your Son and through the gospel, the good news of happiness, that you would change our minds, that you would change our hearts, that you would change our wills this morning, that we could worship you, we could obey you, we could love you, we could enjoy you, and that would make us happy. I pray for parents today, Father, as they're teaching their children the gospel, as they're teaching their their children the way of God, that they do it in a way that points to your happiness and their ultimate happiness, and you're not a God who just wants their obedience. You're a God who's out for their joy, and as we enjoy you, we glorify you, and as we glorify you, we enjoy you. Father, I thank you for creating us in such a way, and I pray that all of us, whether we're drinking wine whether we're eating lasagna, whether we're playing golf, whether we're playing music, we'd be doing these things and enjoying these things to your glory. You gave us these good gifts. You are a good God who wants us to be happy, and we worship you with these things that you've given us. Father, as we come now to the Lord's table, the the bread that represents his body that was broken for us, and the blood that the wine that that represents his blood that was shed for us, we'd come eating and drinking knowing that this is meant to make us happy. We've been accepted by you. We've been forgiven by you. We've been adopted by you. Your love has overcome our brokenness and overcome our sinfulness and overcome our stupidity. And so we eat and we drink, not hoping to be accepted, but rejoicing in the fact that we are accepted. We believed the announcement. Jesus has done everything possible to make us happy. So let us turn from our sin, those self-destructed ways we're trying to find happiness in. Let us turn from those and let us turn from you and let us eat and be satisfied and happy this morning. Christ's powerful name, I pray. Amen. Men who are serving with me, if you'd come down.